name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much, Lydia. Don't you just love her voice? I tell you, not taking anything away from the dudes up here, but, <laughs> but uh, she has a beautiful voice. If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4. And before we jump in this morning, I, I do uh, uh, want to kind of update you on a couple of things uh, as it relates to the room. I know a lot of you come in here and it's real cold when we start and it's kind of chilly. I heard that. Yeah, but I, I get that. Let me tell you, there's reason behind that. We have a heat and air system that only covers this room. When we knocked the back wall out, we created more square footage it has got to cover. Well, by 11 o'clock, around 1130 particularly, it gets real hot in here. So we have to start cool. So bring your coats. You're welcome to bring your coats. No pillows, no blankets, just your coats. And uh, I think you'll be okay. Uh, and then second of all, this is a LED screen. This is not what was up here last week. They worked all week just to put this joker together this week. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it in the weeks to come. Uh, another thing that we're dealing with is the speakers. The reason we don't have a full band is because the speakers are on the floor. And if we had a full band, they would blow us out of the room. So, so anyway, we got to get them back up in the ceiling, and then we'll get uh, uh, back to normal, hopefully in the coming weeks. So I hope you'll pray with us concerning that. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about experiencing God. This is something our church did 25 years ago. Some of you were a part of that, uh, I think, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, we didn't go through it all together as a, as a, 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 a church-wide thing. We just had, we offered it. We had about 100, 125 people who took the class. And, 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 and I tell you, as the video said, it was life-changing for many people. But let me tell you how it was life-changing. It was life-changing because people actually did the Bible studies during the week, okay? When you get the workbook, there will be five days a week that we're hoping that you'll commit to this study. And so there's five sessions per week. Now, this is different because every fall we attempt to have a church-wide thing that we all come together around. Last year it was rooted, the series rooted. It was driven by the sermons on Sunday mornings, and then you went to your connect groups, talked about it, and then hopefully prayed through it in the devotionals that we provided for you last year. This series is going to be driven by your own personal study during the week. And then you'll come together in your connect groups and you'll discuss some of the things, impressions that people got of the study. But then the sermons are only going to complement what you've studied, okay? So the driving force is going to be the Bible study, okay? Now, what you'll need to do is you'll buy the book and then on September 11th, we start. You won't have to have the first session done by then. We just start. Bring the book September 11th. Have the book by then. Go to your connect groups, and that's where everything will start. On that day, the sermon will get us into the study itself. Okay, is that clear as mud? Okay, so everything begins September 11th. Buy your book by the September 11th. Bring uh, bring it with you on September 11th. We'll jump right in. Uh, by the way, we do have a way to use cards, uh, uh, credit cards and that kind of thing. Yeah, I know you, if people don't carry cash anymore, we understand, so you can pay for that out there. All right, aren't you glad we're only charging $5? Amen? Okay, <laughs> that was my idea. Okay, all right. So anyway, we're going to continue the series, The Supremacy of Christ. We have a couple more weeks in here uh, concerning that, this sermon series. Um, and, and, but here's some things I want us to look at. Chapter 1, basically what Paul is doing in this letter, he's basically talking about who Jesus is. 
Matter of fact, if you were to go to a Bible college or a seminary, you would find that Colossians chapters 1 and 2 are some of the best scripture as it relates to the theology of who Jesus is. Good doctrinal study of Jesus is found in Colossians chapters 1 and 2. But in chapter 1, he talks about who Jesus is and our need to be reconciled to him. In chapter 2, he, he talks about who Jesus really is compared with those who misrepresent Jesus. And by the way, that was going on in the first century. Does it continue today? Absolutely. There's all kinds of misrepresentations of who Jesus really is. In chapter 3, he begins to talk about this new life in Jesus. And, and, and he basically says it shows up in your character it shows up in your relationships. We were looking at that the last two weeks in every form of relationship, but it also shows up in your lifestyle. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to be looking at the lifestyle of the new person in Christ. So look at the introduction. The lifestyle of the new person in Christ is to have an intimate relationship with him an intimate relationship with him while making him known to others through opportunities and speech. Now, when you begin to look at the whole plan and mission of Jesus Christ, it was not only something that was foretold in the Old Testament. Jesus himself said it when he came on the scene. I want you to look at this verse here on the screen. Jesus said this concerning his ministry. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. He comes along and he basically says, yes, this is what I will be about here on earth. And here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now think about this. A lot of people, when they think poor, they're thinking economically. They're thinking of people who have done without. But here's what you need to understand. That's not the context we're reading here. The context we're reading here, he's talking about those who are in a bad condition. Now, the poor do have a bad condition when it comes to poverty. But what he's talking about is the person who's basically bankrupt when it comes to their own spiritual walk. He's talking about those who are in sin, those who are lost, and those who are destined for hell. Would you say that's a pretty poor story for someone? And that's really what he's talking about here. And then it says this. He, he brought me here to, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, brokenhearted. He's talking about those that are hurting. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Basically to tell them there's a way out from their hopeless and sinful condition. And recovery of sight to the blind. He's talking about those who are deceived. By the way, are there many deceived? Absolutely. We see that all around us. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's talking about those who are in bondage. Those who are in bondage to sin. Those who are in bondage to the things of this world. He's basically describing the hopeless. Jesus himself said, I've come to do this. Now, as followers of Jesus, this is also our mandate. Matter of fact, if you do a careful study of all the Gospels, of the four Gospels, and the beginning of, of the book of Acts, here's what you'll find. Each of the Gospels and Acts end or begin with the command that we are to be God's witnesses. Now, that's the command. So we have these beautiful stories of Jesus who walked the face of the earth, and we have most of the account of a three-year period, and it all ends with his own words basically saying, you are to be witnesses of me and for me, okay? And he's saying that. But yet, I want you to listen to this, 95% of those who profess to be Christians 
will not lead anyone to Jesus in their lifetime. 95%. It's amazing when you think about that. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, that he was separate from sinners, yet it is said he was a friend to sinners. How many of you are grateful that he was a, sin, he was a, a friend to sinners? How many of you are grateful for that? Because we would never been reached in that category. And that's basically what he's saying. Jesus did not isolate himself from sinners. In Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus spoke of our relationship with the world. And here's what he said about it. We were saved out of the world, yet we are still in the world. That's where we are right now, okay? We were not of the world. We are not of the world now, yet we are sent into the world. I want you to think about that. We're not of the world, but yet we're being sent into the world. Why are we being sent into the world? We're being sent into the world to make him known, to make him known. So, so that really when you think about the language here, to be a follower of Jesus, we are intended to be insulated from the world, but not isolated from the world. I know many people who would just basically say, no, I don't, we don't want to be touched by anything of this world. We're going to shield ourselves off. We're going to go barricade ourselves. That's not what the Bible says about who we are as a witness of Jesus Christ. We're to go out there and we're to make him known. How do you make him known? You make him known by building relationships out there, by, by going into the workplace, by making him known. Think, think of electrician's work. Think of electrician. Some of you in, know how to do electrical work. I don't know anything, but anyway, I know this, okay? But anyway, electrician is basically where we get the idea of who we truly are when it comes to this world. The electrician goes to our home. Now, that wire he is working with will one day have power running through it. On the day, on one end, there will be a power source, while on the other end, there will be the need for power. How many of you are grateful for that technology today? Okay, all right. So, what do we do? There's a power source, the wire connects us to the need. We walk into a dark room. What do we need? We need light. We flip it on. Okay, so it's a connection from a power source to a need. When you begin to really think about who we are in this world, we are the wire. We're in the wire. We're, we're the wire itself. And we are connecting people with the power source to their need. That is who we are in him. So the wire is the link between the power and the need. And this is exactly who we should be. We, we are to be well insulated from the world, this temptation, the sin, yet in contact with the power source, Jesus on the one end, and the needs of others on the other end. Now think about this. Look at verse 5 of where I've asked you to turn. He tells about those who are outside. What is he talking about here? He's talking about those who are outside the faith. Our job as Christians are, is to go outside and bring the lost inside. To care enough to, to, to look at the mandate that Jesus Christ placed in our lives to do that. To take them and be a, 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 a conduit in which we can move them from outside to inside the faith. How do we know that? Well, Jesus said in one, one gospel, he, he says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Bring them in. What are we bringing them into? Into the kingdom of God. That's where hopelessness becomes hope. 
That's when prisoners are set free. That's when the greatest thing could ever happen to them is this move into knowing who Jesus is, to be a part of the kingdom of God. So how do we get there? Well, look on your outline. The prayer of the new person in Christ. Prayer is the most important part of our witnessing. I want you to think about that. It's the most important part. The Spirit must go before us when we become a witness of Jesus Christ. So Paul spoke concerning Israel. If you, if you remember anything about Paul, he had a passion that his countrymen would, may, may come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Of course, the Jews did not, but many were coming. But here's what he says about that whole situation. He says, my heart's desire and prayer not just his desire, but his prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, that they may come into the kingdom of God. So let's look at some questions this morning. Look on your outline. Are you committing yourself to prayer? Do you commit yourself to prayer? Listen, the only way you're going to have any idea of what God is up to in and through your life is through prayer. It requires prayer. It requires time before the Father. And so in Colossians chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 2. He begins this way. Continue earnestly in prayer. Now, the word continue earnestly literally has the idea and the concept of unbroken prayer, attitude of prayer. Prayer is always before you. That when you go out into the workplace, he's just talked to us about that last week when we were looking at it. When you go out, that you're not just going out to do a job. You're going out with opportunity that is before you that you're only going to see unless it's bathed in prayer. And you're continually in prayer in connection with the power source to meet the, help meet the greatest needs of those around you. Whether it be family, whether it be your friends, whether it be those in the workplace. So we continue there. Now, here's what, here's what I've done in the past. There's, there's those, and I've been challenged to do this, and I'll challenge you to do it. I want you to begin to write down on, on a sheet of paper those that you feel who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Write their name down. And then I think one of the best things you can do, and I've seen God answer prayers this way. And there's some of you sitting in this room. I know you do it. It's a practice that you have in which you write a list of those who, who you know, who God's placed you into their life. Maybe you have influence in their life. Maybe you don't, but they're in your life. And you basically write their names down and, and you lift them up before the throne of God each day. And your prayer is that they would come into the kingdom of God that they would realize their need for Jesus Christ, that it would all begin in prayer. Now, what does prayer do? Prayer, I believe, allows us to see what God is up to. It allows us to see that. Now, there's times, I don't know about you, there's times in my prayer life in which I'm like, God, <laughs> are you listening? I mean, sometimes it seems like there's nothing there, but does he listen? The Bible says he's listening. We may not have a response about some things, but here's what I do know about prayer. When I pray in the heart of God, when I pray, my prayer is in the heart of God. What God desires that I know comes from his word. The Bible says that he wishes that none should perish. So therefore, I am praying for that also. But I'm carrying it a step further. 
God's placed me in this time, in this age, before these people, that there is an opportunity that lies in front of me that I can actually impact the kingdom of God. And I believe that's what he has for us, that we would impact the kingdom of God. So we need to pray for him. Now, some of you would say, you know something? I've been doing that for years. And there's this one person on this list that I'm not sure it's ever going to happen. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been praying. For some of you, it may be a child in your family. For some of you, it may be a, a mother, a father. For some of you, it may be someone you've worked with for years. And you just don't, under, you don't know, is God even hear my prayer? Don't give up. Don't give up. I guarantee you in this room, there are those of you who have prayed and you prayed and you prayed and then finally God broke through. That person began to understand a little more of who God was and the presence of God in their life to the point they even came to know him as their Lord and say, don't give up, don't give up. Next, are you watching as to what to pray for? In Colossians chapter four, look at verse two again. Continue earnestly in prayer, being diligent in it. Now, what does that really mean? Some of your translations say being watchful in it. And, and here's what we, we, we understand. Even when Jesus talked about prayer, let me tell you what he said. He basically says, pray and watch. There, there's two components to prayer. Prayer is coming before God, making our request known with thanksgiving, with supplication, whatever it may be. It's us opening our, our hearts up to God himself. But it's also him speaking to us. Hopefully you give time for him to speak to you in your prayer. But there's another component to it, to watch. So I pray for this person. And, 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 and God's laid that person on my life. And I begin to pray for that person's salvation. I begin to try to understand more about how God can use me in this situation. And therefore, as a result of my prayer, I'm not just going to pray maybe that morning or whatever, whenever your prayer time is. But when I go out into the world, when I'm around that person, I'm going to have a careful watch to see what God is doing in that person's life and where he can connect me who knows the power source to the need of that person. That's what it's talking about here in the context of being a witness. To watch, be vigilant, keep alert, be watchful, keep your eyes open. And therefore, as a result of this, none of this can come, if you think about it, through vague prayers. How many of you, when you, when you were children, you used to pray like this? Dear God, thank you for mommy and daddy. Thank you for this person. Thank you for that person. And God, just, just, just be with the whole world. Be with everybody. You remember those prayers? Would you say that's pretty vague? But as we mature in Christ, they need, it, it needs to be, to be specific. The reason a lot of you don't see God answering your prayers, I believe, because I was a time in my life where I was in the same situation, I'm not specific enough. And it's not that I'm laying the mandates before God. No, I'm praying what his desire is, that none should perish. I'm in the realm of prayer, understanding what God is, is up to, understanding that. And now I'm beginning to see it. I'm beginning to pray for it, specifically putting that person's name before the Father. And now watching what God is capable of doing. So basically, I'm looking for opportunities. Basically, I'm also looking for answers to prayer. Answers to prayer. Next, are you thanking God for answered prayer? 
Look at verse 2 again. Continue earnestly in prayer, being diligent in it. How? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Now, are we good at asking in our prayers? We're good at that, aren't we? Because we, many of us, we have a laundry list of ask, right? We're asking God to do this. We're asking God to do that. We're, but how many times do we praise him and thank him for what he's already done? And that whole thing become an act of worship. On Wednesday nights, we've been doing a study. We started with Genesis 1-1, and, and basically this is our second time through this. The first time it took us 14 years to get through the Bible. <laughs> and now we're back to Genesis. We're starting over, you know. Uh, if you remember what I said 14 years ago, I'm a great teacher. That's all I got to say. But anyways, we're just starting over. And the point that we're doing is, here's what we're finding, is that when God shows up, when a person that we even read in the book of Genesis, when all of a sudden there's a prayer and there's a need that's out there and God shows up, do you know what the Bible says at that moment when that happens? That these people tend to turn to prayer. And that's when you have the, the phrases, Jehovah Rapha, he's my healer. And you have all these different understandings of who, who God is. It, it's really an act of worship. So what you read in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, and we just discussed it this past Wednesday night, you'll see where God answers a prayer or he intervenes or he brings the power source that he has into a person's need. And all of a sudden it becomes an act of worship. You see, I'm convinced that our acts of worship should not just be reserved for Sunday morning when we meet like this. It should be in our prayer time. It should be when we're going down the road. It should be whenever we're before him. When God answers a prayer and we're like, wow, he did that. Can you believe it? And, and, and that's what it's all about. In prayer, not just asking, but praising. Next, are you joining with others in matters of prayer? I want you to look at verse 3. It says, meanwhile, Paul's saying, meanwhile, praying also for us. Paul is basically saying, hey, you know, I, I've, I've talked to you about prayer. I've talked about how you need to be vigilant. I, I've talked to you about how you need to continue in it. And by the way, while you're there, remember us. Remember us. And really, when you think about it, it's the concept of bringing others together. So he's pray, praying for those, uh, those witnesses, those who are witnessing. That's the missionaries that we send out here in this church. We got a group that's getting ready to go to, uh, I don't even know what to say anymore. We can't even say the country from the, from the platform, but they're going somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, anyway, in that area, okay? There's a team getting ready to go. We'll commission them. We'll ask for you to pray for them. And I think so many times, and maybe it's because we do it so much, which I love that as a, as a church. We got a group going to Nepal a little later in the year. And, and it's, we're constantly tempting to sin. But every time we ask you, how many of you hear us ask you, will you commit to pray for this group? Will you commit to pray for these witnesses who are going out, that we're sending out? Can we partner together to pray for them that God would do a work through their obedience and going? And, and that's what it's all about. That's the reason we've been called together for that. Next, we see the opportunities of the new person in Christ. How does all this come about? Well, there's first the how. And it's really just open doors. 
I can't tell you how many times I've heard those who've who've left and gone to on mission trips and and, and there are those and, and here's what they'll say pray for open doors pray that God will go before us pray that he will be seen in the door. look at verse 3 again the second part that God would open to us a door for what for the word does it say for the weather does it say for the latest sports game on TV? Does it say that? No, it says we're looking for opportunities to do what? To insert the word into their life, to help bring them to the kingdom of God. How many of you realize that we, we seem to, and some of you are, very, are extroverts. I've met some of you. You wear me out when I'm around you. I get it, okay? But anyway, no, but really, I mean, you think about it. Isn't it amazing how we can talk about everything? It's amazing, isn't it? We, we share a common culture. We can talk about people in the news. We can talk about uh, politics. We can talk about this. We can talk about that. There's all these av avenues in which we can talk. But we really, do we really talk about the things that are eternal? And I'm saying that, and by telling you this, it's just as convicting to me. I can talk to a lot of people about a lot of things. I consider myself to be a pretty well-informed person in certain worlds out there. But the thing that we should be looking for is an open door to share the word. Praying for open doors for those witnessing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, Paul says, I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul's basically saying there's, there's somewhere that God is leading, and I'm telling you, the potential for fruit is, is going to be amazing. There's going to be an opportunity, but here's what you got to understand. There's those who are going to come against what I'm about to do. Now, was that pretty typical for everything Paul did? Oh, yeah. Everything Paul did, there were people who were against it, and they were willing to kill him for it, and eventually they will. But the point is, Paul is basically using the language that we need to use today, that God would open up a door that he could be known, that we could help connect people with their need to the power source that would bring healing, that would bring hope, will bring hope to their lives. In Acts 14, 27, Paul uh, is being said here, all things that God hath, had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Open doors. So when people says, when people stand up here and say, pray for open doors, are they, are they praying biblically? <laughs> Absolutely, that God would go before us and, and, and that he would go there. And, and that when we go there, it's obvious that God has gone before us. All through Paul's ministry, you will notice open the language of open and closed doors. When was the last time you prayed for open doors? Not just for the missionary that goes out, but for you personally, that God would open a door Maybe a door of opportunity to speak into someone's life. Maybe it's that person who's on your list and you basically are saying, God, give me an opportunity to speak to that person about who you are. I have a burden for that person. Lord, they, they, their whole life, they just seem to be in darkness. And Lord, I know you're the answer. Give me the words. But most of all, give me the opportunity, the open door 
to speak into their lives. Next, not only the how, but the what. What are we to share? The gospel. Verse 3, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. That he be presented. That he be presented. Where? Look on your outline. Where? Any place. Verse 3, the last part of three, uh, three, verse 3, he says, for which I am also in chains. Would you say that it's, you would think that Paul in chains would say, I'm pretty limited with opportunities. Would you say that? Pretty limited with opportunities. But did he use that as an excuse? Not according to what we read in, in Scripture. I, I remember many years ago, I was having some health issues, and, and uh, I, I wound up in the hospital for about uh, almost a whole week. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, I started noticing that the nurses were, there are different nurses, different times. Some of y'all in the nursing field, you, you know, they, they have different things. And in that whole week in the hospital, I really got to know four nurses quite well. Now, if you were to ask me going in, what will my opportunities be like in the hospital? <laughs> I probably would have told you, probably not good. But through those seven days, I was able to talk to these nurses and talk to them. And, and God would give me an open door and, and someone would let me in. Someone, someone would allow me to share with them and talk with them. And, and as a result of that one week, we had two nurses show up here at the church. And, and, and it could be that it's like, you're really a pastor, really? You know, I'm not, I don't know if they didn't see a whole lot here. I, I don't tend to see a whole lot here. But anyway, and, and so they just started showing up. They started developing interest in the Word of God. And I hope it was because God used me in some way to, 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 create, to create that interest. That the Holy Spirit allowed me to use that. But you know something? There's not many times I think as clearly as when I was in the hospital during that time. When God just slowed my whole world down and caused me to focus right there on what was in front of me. What else am I going to do but lay there in pain? <laughs> what else am I going to do? Sometimes God brings us to that point. How about the nurse? How about the, the waitress? One of the greatest things and, and, and it's funny, it, it, my daughter and I, it came up not even three weeks ago. We were sitting there talking. And, and, and it's amazing how often she brings this up. And she was like, Dad, do you remember back when we went to Disney World? That's when you could go to Disney World. But anyway, you remember when we went and, and the car broke down? I said, yep, I remember that. No, no air conditioning, didn't start it overheating. I remember that real well. Um, and she said, do you remember we had to get a cab to go back to the hotel after we dropped the car off? And do you remember us witnessing to the cab driver? I said, yeah. Now, I like to think that, that she saw more of that in my life as we did it. But for some reason, that moment connected her to what she saw as her first opportunity. And I was up there, and I was sharing with the cab driver, and, and she was receiving what we were saying. And she was like, yeah, pray for this for me. Pray for this. And then all of a sudden, my, my quiet, little, shy daughter spoke into the situation. I'm like, wow. <laughs> but it was all because I believe that we 
saw an opportunity and we shared. And we had the privilege to do that some years later in Romania. And I remember, bless her heart, she, I had to preach that, that evening and she had to give her testimony. And we were st standing there and I could, I could look at her and she was visibly shaking, scared out of her mind. And all of a sudden she got up there and it was just beautiful. It's almost like God just kind of took over. All because there was an opportunity that was put before and she was obedient to do that. That's the reason we send people on mission trips, by the way. They, see, they do things, they see things they've never seen before. And hopefully it's something that translates into their life. But where do you do this? You do it in all, any place. Romania, Orlando, Cleveland County, even Kaiser. I mean... <laughs> I mean, you, uh, sorry guys, but anyway, you got, I mean, it's all out there in front of us to be that witness. Why? Why would we do it? We are to be compelled or we are to compel them. Compelled. In Colossians chapter four, look at verse four, it says that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. It speaks of Paul's compulsion to preach the gospel. Paul had a haunting burden for those who were lost. Literally, if you read the language in which he wrote, he was haunted by the fact that so many of his countrymen were lost. He even said at one point, and I'm not sure I could ever say this, that he was willing to go to hell himself that his countrymen may come to know God. That blows my mind that someone could pray something like that. But that shows you how he was compelled. In what he did. Next, the walk of the new person in Christ. There's two aspects of witnessing. There's really what you would call the hidden and the outward. The hidden would be the prayer life. The hidden would be where you're praying. You're, you're, you're literally praying specifically for someone. And, and you're basically putting it out there. And, and you, you know there's a connection you've made with the heart of God for that person. And so basically, you're looking to the power source, and you're looking to see how that need could be met in that person's life. And so you begin to move in that direction. But secondly, there's an outward part where there's a daily life. We're living before people. Both are essential in becoming an effective witness. So look on your outline. Does what you do contradict with what you say? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Who's he talking about? When he says outside, who's he talking about? He's talking about those outside the faith. Those who don't know our Lord. Those who are not in Christ, which is the language he's speaking of here. The word walk there literally means to be preoccupied with. It literally means you're, you're walking and you're preoccupied with opportunities that God may put before you. In other places in Scripture, it just talks about the, the walk of the person, the life of the person, the outward walk of the person. But here is literally talking about to be preoccupied. How? In wisdom. Now, this is interesting. Wisdom knows how to regulate or bring truth to circumstances. That's what wisdom is. That's one part of wisdom. Think about it. It knows how to regulate or bring truth to circumstances. Someone's going through a circumstance 
And because you've prayed for the Father, for that person, there's that individual person, all of a sudden there's a circumstance that arises in their life, and God gives you the wisdom to know how to speak into that situation. You say, is that possible? All the time. All the time. He just wants you to be obedient. There's times, how many, and this may, there's times where I've just been simply obedient to God, and I'm not bragging when I say this, because I'm getting ready to give him all the glory. And he just gives me the words to say. I, I, literally. You say, really? You mean you go into a trance and he just speaks out words? No. But all of a sudden, you say something, and moments later, you're like, wow, that was pretty good. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> that happens here every Sunday morning, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, but, but the point I'm trying to say here is the fact that we know, you, you're looking, he knows, you, you, God gives you the wisdom to bring truth to the circumstance. It also, listen, wisdom also has a second part to it. You know how to deal with others. How many of you agree that it helps to size up the situation before you speak into it? That's always a good thing, by the way. How many of you, what hits your mind comes out? That can get you in trouble. How many of you have noticed that? How many of you notice that as we get older, what hits your mind comes out because you're afraid you're going to forget about it and, and it just has to come out? And I don't know about you, but I've seen some older people who used to be sweet in their 40s and 50s. They, they mean in their 60s and 70s. <laughs> you could say, yeah, bitterness doesn't sit up in their heart. No, no, I think it's just because they, never mind. But anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make here is you know how to deal with her. You're sizing up the circumstances in her life. You know enough about this person to know how to deal with how to speak into that person. Now, let's just say your children. Those of you who are blessed to have more than one child, how many of you agree that you don't speak to both children the same way? You learned what properly motivates them, okay? Now, you know my son. What motivated him? Getting in his face. You, you, know, you know him. You know what I'm talking about, right? My daughter. If I did the same thing, dealt with her the same way I deal with my son, I would have crushed her spirit. Literally. I had to learn that about them too. And guess what? The, it doesn't mean that one was better than the other. God's using the other pretty, pretty well these days. But the, my daughter over here, I, I, I had to deal with it differently. It's the same way when we begin to pray for someone. And maybe you've got a list of five people. There's some that if you don't get in their face, they'll never hear you. And then there's some, just some right opportunity presents itself and you just lovingly speak into it and they receive it. And, and you see, that's what he's talking about here. Walk in wisdom toward, listen to the language, toward those who are on the outside. Don't just camp out with those who are on the inside. Walk towards them who are on the outside. Build something towards them. Next, 
Got to skip some stuff because I'm running behind. Next, are you making the most of opportunities? What does he say in verse 5? You've heard this phrase, redeeming the time. Now, this verse means to take advantage of opportunities. Missed opportunities, by the way, let me say this. Missed opportunities cost a lot. You do know that, right? How many of you, there's been times in your life where you felt like, I missed the opportunity? You, you missed it. Now, those who are shaking their heads, I'm just going to be honest with you you're probably more in tune than most people in the room because you at least saw the opportunity, but you missed it. How many of you, it just kind of crushes your spirit when you do that? I mean, really, I mean, I've been there so many times. It's like, oh, I wish I could do a do-over. Can you pray for a do-over? I have. Will God come through then? He has, and he will. But the point is, we redeem the time. Next, the speech of the person in Christ. Is your speech favored with grace? Colossians chapter six, uh, 4, uh, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. Grace implies favor. That you found favor. How do you put grace in your speech? You get grace in your heart. Okay? You get grace in your heart. Look at Luke 4 here on the screen. And Jesus spoke, and the people were amazed and filled with wonder over the gracious words that came from his mouth. Let me tell you why that was so eye-opening for them. Because they said this. They said, it seems like every time Jesus spoke, he spoke with such authority. How many of you read that in Scripture? He spoke with authority. In, in, in those days, and even the days in which we, we live, many times those who speak with authority have no grace. How many of you agree? You, you know what I'm talking about. But they said, man, he spoke with authority. And what perplexed them and what they were amazed by was the fact, and he did it with grace. Wow. That's the reason Jesus was so amazing. Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as in for good edification, according to the need of the moment. You got to size it up. You don't just see an opportunity. You got to have wisdom to know how to deal with the opportunity. And then he says, according to the need at the moment that I, it may give grace to those who hear. You know what it literally means? That there's a connecting point. There's a connecting point. Did you know sometimes when you have to get in the face of someone, there can still be a connecting point? Did you know when you have to speak gently because you're afraid you're going to crush someone's spirit, that there can still be a connecting point? Because it all comes from God. He's the one with the power. We just have to be obedient. Next, is your speech flavored with salt? Verse 6, that second part, seasoned with salt. Now think about what salt can do. It, it, can, it can flavor those things around, but it can sting in a wound. How I many of you ever, I tell you what, next time you hurt yourself, put salt on it and tell me what you think, okay? All right? It can sting. It, it prevents corruption. It has a purifying effect. Matter of fact, when it comes to flavor, too much and it can be more than you can stand. You have to be discerning. We must be strategic with our words while witnessing. We got to be direct, but we got to be sensitive to know how to deal with the matter. That's what we're seeing here. Next is your speech found with the answers. 
the last part of verse 6, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Did you know, I believe we're living in a world today, maybe greater than any other time, where people are looking for answers. You know why? Because we've been programmed to look for answers. Hadn't we? Think about what we do with social media. All of a sudden, it's like now at our fingertips. <clears throat> we, we can, and I did this the other night. I was watching something on Lady Diana the other night. And I was looking at it, and I was like, man, it seems like everywhere she goes, she's taller than everybody. How tall was she? I went in there, and guess what? Within moments, that, she's five, she was 5'10". That's a tall woman right, you're looking at right there. And, 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 and at the moment, it was right there. We literally, we are programmed to do that, if you really think about it. We can find things right at the end of our, uh, right there. And, and what we need to understand is, I believe it's created a hunger for people who want to know. And we have the greatest answers. First Peter 3, 15, many of you know the verse. Be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the faith that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Be ready to give that answer. And then here's the application this morning. Do you approach each day of your life with a desire to hear from Jesus and make him known to those around you. I'm going to confess something to you. Not every day does that take place in my life. Did it appear to be that way with Apostle Paul? Absolutely. Did it appear to be that way with Jesus? Absolutely. I don't know about you, but two of the people I respect the most who's ever lived are Jesus and Paul. Do I, would I like to be more like them? Yeah, I would. It would pay us to look at their lives, to see the care and the burden that they have. And let me just tell you why. And I'm going to close with this. It's not a good way to close, but it's, it's one of the best in this case. Listen, there is a hell that is out there. And it awaits for many. And for, for some of the people that you know, the only thing that's going to stand in the way between them and hell is maybe you and God using you to walk in wisdom, to know how to deal with them, to know how to deal with sensitivity, to know how to communicate. And there's some of you sitting there saying, and I understand it. Well, what will be, will be. If they're predestined, I'm not even talking about that because the, the, that's a confusing conversation in the first place. Only thing I'm going on is that God said, and, and Jesus said, I wish that none perish. I'm going to go on that. I'm going to go on the fact that he commanded me at the end of all four gospels to do it. And that's where I'll go. I wish y'all were better at it, but that's where I'll go. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand. Are you willing to put someone's name down and start praying for them about their salvation? Are you willing? Raise your hand if you're willing. I want to ask you, put their name down. Maybe it's more than one. And just start praying. And the Bible says when we pray, to watch. Watch for opportunities. Know how to speak into the situation. Size it up. Be a great witness for him. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now. We just thank you for your word. And 
Lord, I thank you for Colossians and the way it's put together. It begins with this beautiful story of who Jesus is. And then it talks about how we need to conduct ourselves, Father. But then it talks about how we can make that wonderful name of Jesus known to this world. I thank you for Paul and his passion to to make you known. And Father, I just pray that if we could just get a little bit of what his passion was like, it would probably change, radically change our lives. I pray for the names that are on every one of our lists right now. Father, that you would just, number one, allow us to put their name on that list. Father, that you allow us to pray for that person with diligence, realizing that if something doesn't change, a place called hell awaits them. And Father, that we'd even go further than that, that we would look for opportunities. And Lord, that we'd just not look for opportunities. We would look for the wisdom to know how to speak into that situation. Father, we just pray that you work mightily in it and through it. In Jesus' name, amen.